0: Hello listeners, and welcome back to Sandman Stories Presents. Today we have my final installment of the Halloween Ghost Stories. This one is not at all that spooky, just another ghost story in the W. Bob Holland 25 Ghost Stories collection. In this story, a salesman, or drummer, makes a bold statement and is doomed to haunt the train until he can make good on his boasts. And this one will be fine for young listeners to listen to, it's not scary at all. okay let's begin the parlor car ghost all draped with blue denim was the seaside cottage of my friend sarah pine she asked me to go there with her when she opened it to have it set in order for the summer she confessed that she felt a trifle nervous at the idea of entering it alone and i'm always ready for an excursion So much blue denim rather surprised me, because blue is not complimentary to Sarah's complexion. She always wears some shade of red by preference. She perceived my wonder. She is very nearsighted, and therefore sees everything in some sort of sixth sense. You do not like my portiers and curtains and table covers, she said. Neither do I, but I did it to accommodate, and now he rests well in his grave, I hope. Whose grave, for pity's sake? Mr. J. Billington Prices. And who is he? He doesn't sound interesting. Then I will tell you about him, said Sarah, taking a seat directly in front of one of those curtains. Last autumn, I was leaving this place for New York, traveling on the fast express train known as the Flying Yankee. Of course, I thought of the Flying Dutchman and Wagner's musical setting of the uncanny legend, and how different things are in these days of steam and etc. Then I looked out of the window at the landscape, the horizon that seemed to wheel in a great curve as the train sped on. Every now and then I had an impression at the tail of the eye that a man was sitting in a chair three or four numbers in front of me on the opposite side of the car. Each time that I saw this shape, I looked at the chair and ascertained that it was unoccupied. But it was an odd trick of vision. I raised my longnette and the chair showed emptier than before. There was nobody in it, certainly. But the more that I knew that it was vacant, the more plainly I saw the man, always with the corner of my eye. It made me nervous. When passengers entered the car, I dreaded lest they might take that seat. What would happen if they should? A bag was put in the chair. That made me uncomfortable. The bag was removed at the next station. Then a baby was placed in the seat. It began to laugh as though someone had gently tickled it. There was something odd about that chair. Thirteen was its number. When I looked away from it, the impression was strong upon me that some person was sitting there watching me. Really, it would not do to humor such fancies. So I touched the electric button and asked the porter to bring me a table, and taking from my bag a pack of cards, proceeded to divert myself with a game of patience. I was puzzling where to put the seven of spades. Where can it go? I murmured to myself. A voice behind me prompted, Play the four of diamonds on the five, and you can do it. I started. The only occupants of the car beside myself were a bridal couple, a mother with three little children, and a typical preacher of one of the straightest sects. Who had spoken? Play up the four, madam, repeated this voice. I looked fearfully over my shoulder. At first, I saw a bluish cloud like cigar smoke, but inodorous. Then the vision cleared and I saw a young man whom I knew by a subtle intuition to be the occupant, seen and not seen, of chair number thirteen. Evidently he was a traveling salesman and a ghost. Of course, a drummer's ghost sounds ridiculous. They're so extremely alive, or else you would expect a dead drummer to be particularly dead and not walk. This was a most commonplace looking ghost, cordial, pushing, businesslike. At the same time, his face had an expression of utter despair and horror which made him still more preposterous. Of course, it is not nice to let a stranger speak to one, even on so impersonal a topic as the Four of Diamonds, but a ghost? There can't be any rule of etiquette about talking with a ghost. My dear, it was dreadful. That forward creature showed me how to play all the cards and then begged me to lay them out again in order that he might give me some clever points. I was too amazed and disturbed to speak. I could only place the cards at his suggestion. This I did so as to not appear to be listening to empty air and be supposed to be a crazy woman. Presently, the ghost spoke again and told me his story. Madam, he said, I have been riding back and forth on this car ever since February 22nd, 1891, seven months and 11 days. At this time, I have not exchanged a word with anyone. For a drummer, that is pretty hard, you may believe. You know the story of the Flying Dutchman? Well, that is very nearly my case. A curse is upon me and will not be removed until some kind soul, but I'm getting ahead of my text. That day, there were four of us, traveling for different houses. One of the boys was in wool, one in baking powder, one in boots and shoes, and myself in cotton goods. We met on the road, took seats together, and fell into talking shop. Those fellows told big lies about their sales, Washington's birthday though it was. The baking powder man raised the amount of the bills of goods which he had sold better than the whole can of his stuff could have done. I admitted the straight truth that I had not yet been able to make a sale. And then I swore, not in a light-minded chipper style of verbal trimmings, but a great round, heaven's defying oath that I would sell a case of blue denims on that trip if it took me forever. We became dry with talk, and when the train stopped at Rivermouth, we went out to have some beer. It's good there, you know. Pardon me, I forgot that I was speaking to a lady. Well, we had to run to get aboard. I missed my footing, fell into the wheels, and the next thing that I knew, they were holding an inquest over my remains. While I, disemboweled, was sitting on a corner of the undertaker's table, wondering which of the coroner's jury was likely to want a case of blue denims. Then I remembered my wicked oath and understood that I was a soul doomed to wander until I could succeed in selling that bill of goods. I spoke once or twice, offering the denims under value, but nobody noticed me. Verdict, accidental death. Negligence of the deceased. Railroad corporation not to blame. Deceased got out for beer at his own risk. The other drummers took charge of the remains and wrote a beautiful letter to my relatives about my social qualities and my impressive conversation. I wish it had been less impressive at the time. I might have lied about my sales or I might have said something that I hoped for better luck. But after that oath there was nothing for it. Back and forth, back and forth on this road in chair number 13 to all eternity. Nobody suspects my presence. They sit on my knees. I'm playing in luck when it's a nice baby as it was this afternoon. They pile wraps, bags, even railway literature on me. They play cards under my nose. And what duffer some of them are. You, madam, are the first person who has perceived me. And therefore, I ventured to speak to you, meaning no offense. I can see that you are sorry for me. Now, if you recall the story of the Flying Dutchman, he was saved by the charity of a woman. In fact, Senta married him. Now, I'm not asking for anything of that size. I see that you wear a wedding ring and no doubt make some man's happiness. I wasn't a marrying man myself and naturally I'm not a marrying ghost and that has nothing to do with the matter anyway. But if you could, I don't suppose you would have any use for them, but if you were disposed to do a turn of good solid Christian charity, I should be everlastingly grateful. And you may have that case of denims at seventy-two fifty, and that quality is quoted today at 80 Does it go madam? The speech of the poor ghost was not very eloquent, but his eyes had an intense, eager glare, which was terrible. Something, pity, fear, I do not know what, compelled me. I decided to do without the white gold evening cloak. Instead, I gave $72.50 to the ghost and took from him a receipt for the sum, signed J. Billington Price. Then he smiled contentedly, thanked me with emotion, and returned to chair number 13. Several times on the journey, although I did not perceive him again, I felt dazed. When the train arrived at New York, I and the other passengers dismounted. It seemed to me that a strong hand passed under my elbow, steadying me down the steps. As I walked the length of the station, my bag, not heavy at any time, appeared to become weightless. I believed that the parlor car ghost walked beside me, carrying the bag, whose handle still remained in my other hand. Indeed, once or twice, I thought I felt the touch of cold fingers against mine. Since then, I have no reason to suppose that this poor ghost is not at rest. I hope he is, but I never expected nor wished for the blue denims. The next day, however, a dray belonging to a great wholesale house backed up to our door and delivered a case of denims with a receipted bill for the same. What was I to do? I could not go about selling blue denims. I could not give them away without exciting comment so I furnished the cottage with them, and you know the effect on my complexion. Pity me, dear, and credit me, frivolous woman as I am, with having saved a soul at the expense of my own vanity. My story is told. What do you think about it? The end. I like that the ghost was not a malicious or mean ghost in any way, and it was just essentially the Flying Dutchman, and he just wanted to get rid of his stuff and break that terrible curse that he himself got into. Thank you for listening. That concludes Sandman Stories Presents Halloween. Happy Halloween.